This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, Warwick Long, your co-host this morning, of course, the host of the Country Hour, joining you from ABC Shepparton. And first things first today was hand on heart, the biggest, most teary, heartfelt thank you to not just Conversation Hour listeners, but to our entire ABC audience. As people have no doubt heard today, across our network, thanks to our Mm. wonderful listeners yesterday for Second Part as a part of the ABC Gives campaign, we raised nearly $600,000. And what that means, I mean, I spent some time out at Second Part, and what that means for them... And what that means for just the wider community in terms of feeding people. I got emotional yesterday, right? When Sammy hit 500,000, I was standing in the kitchen listening to it. And I actually got teary because I watched all of the donations come in was. And okay, every now and then we'd have one big kahuna, right? We'd have a 5,000 or a 10,000. But the majority of donations that came in yesterday, five bucks, 10 Mm. bucks, $20, because all of us are feeling the pinch right about yeah. now. And that's what made this so much more heartfelt and incredible, I thought. Well, thanks for starting another conversation now by nearly trying to get me cry too, oh. Rochelle. But you're right. It is incredible that people giving what they can, yeah. uh, the, the effort of the station. And one of the things about working in radio, which I know you love, which I love, is it really makes you feel part of the community. Yeah. The ABC and the listeners of the yeah. ABC is such an amazing community. Yes, we have back and forths on text lines with people or on talkback or whatever, but overall, we all want the best for the community we live in. And yesterday, uh, through ABC Melbourne and Victoria, really felt part of that. And it was just beautiful to hear. And it was wonderful to hear Sammy on the conversation. Now, back with you, co-hosting again, like you guys did back in the day. Well, he led that campaign and he was absolutely brilliant. And it will honestly change lives. So, look, we have been banging on about it for a while. But honestly, a huge thank you to everyone who gave what they could. But today on the Conversation Hour, (laughs) there's no other way to segue to this, right? (laughs) We're talking snakes, was because, well, there's lots of reasons to talk snakes. We're coming into the holiday season and we need to get prepared and we need to make sure that we don't have our head in the sand. But when it comes to our pets, just recently in the beautiful little town of Hamilton, the local vet there just a few weeks ago treated 10 dogs with snake bites in four days. Now, unfortunately, five of those dogs died, didn't make it. She pretty much drained the entire community's supply of anti-venom. And I just thought that is a huge wake-up for us to think about how prepared we are, either as individuals, as vets, as communities coming in to a hot season, into a holiday season where we're out and about. Would you know if you were walking your dog, if something happened, touch wood, and your dog got bitten by a snake, would you know what to do? Well, I would be in a panic, right? Like that's the thing when it's someone something so loved in terms of your your family pets, and this is something that's happening everywhere. I know from my family's farm, mum and dad's, they've seen a huge amount of snakes this year, more than we've seen for numbers of years. Like we talk going back to my childhood in terms of the number of snakes around and on the move, and different varieties as well. Uh, I've we're hearing it from callers to the country hour and when I've been out, I've been out in the field quite a lot lately and when you're just talking to people generally, this is a huge 
topic this year of conversation because there ha- well seemingly has been just so many snakes out and about after so many wet years and and so forth it is something to be very wary of and you know being prepared mm. is something we need to think about and i grew up on a property and you'd like to think you're ready for a lot of things but i actually don't think i'm i know a lot of what i should do in case of snake bite or if there are snakes around animals because you know we just got through the best we could and maybe there are better ways and i'm looking forward to learning that today so if there's something you want to know maybe you're going camping for the first time if you've got a pet do you want to know how to get prepared on abc radio melbourne and victoria this is the conversation hour and it is around this time of the year where i pick up the phone and there is no (laughs) other people to invite into the studio for this conversation other than dr tim jackson and dr andrew watt who are from the australian venom research unit the school of biomedical sciences at melbourne university a warm welcome to the two of you back to the conversation hour let, before we get on to Wars's comment of there's more snakes around and whether or not that's actually true, <laughs> <Sorry>. right? <laughs> so are you alarmed that in it, Hamilton is a relatively small community and small town, 10 dogs bitten in four days, of which five died. The town ran out of anti-venom. Is that unprecedented? I don't know that it's unprecedented. It's certainly, I mean, it's certainly concerning and it's certainly tragic uh, for those dogs that have lost their lives and their families, of course. Uh, the reality is that there are a lot of snakes around in many um, areas in, in just both around Melbourne and also in Victoria, of course, and areas on Mornington Peninsula, we know, where there have been a lot of bites. And even in the area where I live, which is near Altona, there are quite a few dogs that get bitten by snakes there. So this is not an uncommon occurrence. This is an exceptional, you know, pattern that has happened in Hamilton, perhaps. But dogs being bitten by snakes is not uncommon in Victoria and Australia-wide. How prepared do we need to be for our pets? What should we, you know, we carry our little poop bags around, hopefully, <laughs> but is there something else that we should be either having in the back of the car, that we should have in the house, depending on where you live? Look, p- pets is a tricky one. Uh, if, if somebody gets bitten by a snake or it's a person, they can tell us they've been bitten by a snake. With pets, we have to look for slightly more insidious science, so things that creep up on us. The best thing we can do in all cases is prevention. Uh, If it's coming into the hottest seasons or if we know there's been flooding and the heat's... Like we are at the moment where the sun's been out but then it's raining a lot and the sun's out again, keeping your dogs on a leash and away from long grasses and away from places where snakes can be hiding and preventing those bites from occurring uh, is going to be your best bet, first of all. Um, In terms of if a dog's actually been bitten, if you've seen the bite... You can do the same thing that we do with people, which is just a pressure bandage up the limb uh, and then take that dog straight to the vet. Do do they normally stay still? Do they freak out? Like, do dogs... This is a crazy question where I'm wanting you to be a dog expert as as well as a snake (laughs) expert. But do they sense, uh uh-oh, something bad has happened here or do they flap about? I think, you know, dogs are very individual, aren't they? So dogs are going to have different reactions. They may not even realise that they've been bitten. Mm -hmm. And the initial bite, depending on the species involved and things, might not be extraordinarily painful. So they might not have any concept of the fact that they have been potentially fatally envenomed. Uh, And they, you know, you might not... If you haven't actually seen the bite, as Andrew was saying, you know, you might not know that they've been envenomed until they start showing, you know, signs of systemic toxicity. So, you know, paralysis in the back legs or bleeding gums or 
you know, mm. any number of things. And it's it's a very dangerous situation at that point. Yeah. So if you do see, if you have gone on the walk with a dog and sort of half an hour to an hour later, they are showing these sudden signs, just get them straight to the vet. Uh, it is much better off to be safe than sorry. We can run a series of tests down at the vet to give an indication of whether venom's in the system or not. Um, but the earlier you get them to medical yeah, treatment, the better chance. The better you've chance. Got. So you can actually test for that. You can test to see if a dog has been bitten. Uh, snake bites. Certain certain clinics may have snake venom detection kits specifically, but more broadly, you can have a look uh, at certain blood markers in the dogs to see whether there's an envenomation or some kind of foreign agent response occurring. Is it the same antivenom that is given to humans? Essentially, uh, they might be getting the exact same product, but there are also a couple of veterinary products on the market as well. Essentially, they are the same kind of thing, though they are, uh, you know, horse-derived antibody products. Text on this already, it says, I got bitten by a snake when I was on holiday in Tasmania just in March 2021. A dry bite or I wouldn't be here today, but I've still got a noticeable two bruises two and a half years later. Is that normal? That's from Simon in Preston. I've got two questions there. A dry bite and then, yes, is the bruise normal two and a half years later? So, look, a dry bite is a bite where the snake doesn't inject venom or where they inject venom but maybe not when the fangs are under the skin. Uh, basically, we're not food for snakes. It's a waste of energy for them to envenomate us, and so they don't always do it. We don't quite know how often a dry bite's occurring, but it, we do know that it is occurring. Uh, in terms of the long-term kind of consequences or what we call sequelae, uh, which are just long-term uh, chronic hangovers from a bite, we don't have a whole lot of data on those. So the bruising, uh, it sounds a bit strange. I'm not quite sure what the situation is there. In Australia, we don't tend to get, at least from the medical research side of things, we don't tend to have long-term consequences of many snake bites, other than the broadly psychological ones of having an impact yes. of something out there that can kill you and maybe <laughs> has had a crack at it at one point. Well, uh, but you do are, get some anecdotal sort of things. There are, yeah, it's not particularly well studied. I wouldn't say that we don't have it. The bruising does sound very unusual because bruising is generally a sign it's of, a long time, isn't of, it? Of, of bleeding. And that's certainly something that you would happen acutely uh, after a certain snake bite in Australia. Australia, uh, they may cause bleeding, some of these uh, snake bites. But in terms of long-term consequences of snake bite, there are certain neurological things that have been observed. There are, there's also kidney damage. So there are long-term consequences on occasion. I guess so Dr. Tim Jackson, Dr. Andrew Watt, and we're talking all things uh, danger noodles, murder noodles, <laughs> nope, nopes, uh, nope ropes. Uh, Joe Blake's is another one I've got here. Hissing stick is another one. My question to you two is, is it true that there are more snakes around this year? Mm. Uh, certainly anecdotally on my parents' property, they've come across a lot more and I've even seen a lot more at, at their place and we've been talking about it with other farmers. But is that true? Is the, is the weather conditions better for, for more higher visibility of snakes this year? That ends up being uh, uh, an annoyingly complex question to answer. <laughs> He's very especially, good at that. Especially from a, from a broadly scientific point of view. The thing is we don't actually have good data tracking snake populations in really any part of the country over time. So we can't really say what's happening with snake populations or really even with snake sightings because, as you say, a lot of you know reports of snake sightings are really just so many anecdotes. Uh, possibly one of the best places to go would be snake catchers in certain areas, uh, and they do maintain a database 
uh, of of the removals that they do. And certainly some of them are saying that they're seeing more snakes this season. It's actually not been a big uh, season for snakes for me in my area where I normally see a lot of tiger snakes. So um, I haven't seen as many this year, but we're hearing this a lot. So... Really, it's a difficult question yeah. to, to answer. And whether the conditions are better... Well, do they breed more in this type of weather? I guess because... Of, I, I don't know, but it like, feels like there's more butterflies, there's more flies, yep. there's just more of... Things feel like they're breeding on mass at the, the moment. Yeah. Something in the air. <laughs> yeah, look, a- a- absolutely. I mean, if there's more prey around, essentially, so more like frogs, lizards, rodents, depending on the snake species that we're talking about, there are going to be more snakes. Uh, there's going to they're going to be more fecund, basically. So there will be more breeding. Whether that's going to translate, I mean, a whether that's going on at the moment, mm. hard to say. <laughs> B whether that's going to translate to a long term increase in population numbers, hard to say. You know, there are also situations in which we might be seeing more snakes, but that could be indicative of a population decline in the snakes because you're actually seeing a lot of stressed animals moving around and you know exposing themselves in ways that they normally would prefer not to. So you actually might see a lot of snakes sometimes during drought because they're looking for water. water. You know, they're, they're thermally stressed, they're too hot, etc. So many different things can influence both snake numbers over time, snake sightings over time. They're not necessarily correlated and we don't have the data to say anything particularly clear. Sorry. I guess on the public health side of things, so you, if we are seeing these anecdotes come up in particular areas, pay attention mm. to them. Yeah. Uh, it's well, as one here saying there's more and more in and around Ivanhoe and around the golf course, family members delight in sending videos to <laughs> our mother. That's from Helen. Yeah. So if you're noticing yeah. them in your area, yeah. but then maybe even put up signs around a golf course. Look, there's been more sightings than usual. We're going to try and get through some of the questions that are already piling up on text, but let's go to Melissa in Geelong. Hi, Melissa. Yeah, hi. I had a brown snake about one metre long. A couple of weeks of it, a couple of weeks ago, go into a crack in between the Chook House and the concrete path. I haven't seen him come out. Um, I'm wondering if he's living in there. I'm hopeful he's not. Mm. It's, it's hard it's to say, to not knowing know, uh, the exact layout of that concrete crack and chook uh, sort of I setup. know you want the answer it's, to be, yeah. he's not there anymore, Melissa. It sounds like a good place for a snake to live, unfortunately, but we certainly can't say whether he's there any longer. Do snakes, I mean, snakes and chickens, how, how do they get along? I mean, is the snake... Well, snakes, snakes, snakes like chickens, chickens yeah. markedly less, you know. Yeah. Um, it's a food, we it, lost one this year at the farm. <gasps> it's a food source. Uh, yeah, Sorry, I, Captain Chicken. Snakes will... <laughs> <laughs> some snakes will eat eggs, some snakes will eat chicks, larger snakes will eat adult chickens. So if you're living in parts of the country where there are a lot Hang of pythons... Whoa, 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 back that up. They yeah. will eat chickens? Yeah, so if, um, pythons, like not... Venomous snakes, generally speaking. But if you were living, you know, in outside Brisbane, where I actually yeah, used to right. live, mm. you know, I had friends with chicken coops. We're living in the bush outside Brisbane. There are a lot of carpet pythons, so people lose chooks. You They're know, the big, just... green, huge ones. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, big, yeah, broadly big. speaking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know that we'd uh, classify them as just green, but it's yeah. a, yeah, sort of a mottled. <laughs> yeah. This is where my level of knowledge is at. But there are green pythons that they tend not to be big and they're only in the very far north of the country. Okay. The carpet pythons that I'm talking about, I mean, they can be a little bit greenish, but browns, beiges, etc., but quite patterned as well. But again, if, we, if we're thinking about chickens, if we're thinking about we want to limit our exposure to snakes, particularly around our houses, and if we are living in a slightly rural area, if you've got things like chickens, which are going to be a potential food source for snakes, think about how you're caging your chooks. 
do you have just chicken wire, which a snake can fairly easily progress past? Yeah, well, someone's got a question about that. It's from Sue, and it says, oh, my God, how timely that you're talking about this. Today I started attempting to snake-proof my Mm. cat enclosure after there were just two snakes last week. Can you please ask, because that's in caps there, your experts on how the protective mesh and how high it should be, which I'll be attaching to the existing 25 by 25 millimetre mesh. Thank you so much from Sue. Uh, How high it could be is a real tricky one. Some of the, I think last time we were on, we talked about the fact that snakes can climb. Uh, they they are these incredibly muscular sort of ropes uh, that can climb uh, very very well. So ideally, you would. It's it not about how high you'd enclose it, enclosed, uh, yeah. and just make sure you're going as small it's as possible. Very with the mesh hard to make. I mean, snakes are incredibly good at squeezing into very small spaces. They're also good at climbing. They're good at getting in places where we might w- not want them to get. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you'd really need something that's completely enclosed in order to be confident that it was snake-proof. We're really making people feel great <laughs> today as we look at snakes here. The, the last time we did this, our first caller said I was climbing a tree to clean oh, the gutters <laughs> and came face-to-face with a snake in a tree. So, you know, anything could happen here was. Hey, Philip in Warrigal might have some more information on the marks that were left behind from mm-hmm. a snake bite two and a half years earlier. Hi, Philip. Hi, how are you going? Has this happened to you too? Yeah, yeah, I got bitten about 30 years ago on the back of the leg by a tiger snake. Um, no venom, um, but I had these two little look-like bruises, um, and I've still got them. But they're obviously they're not bruises because it's been 30 years. But when I look at my leg, it's just the same, just the same as when you know it hasn't gone away at all. So it must be something to do with the bacteria or something mm. that colours the skin that so looks like a bruise, but it's not actually a bruise. Is it, it, I wonder if it's just scar tissue, uh, a little bit of damage at the, the site for the moment, a little bit of bacteria potentially, as you say, or something foreign that the body's responded to, and then you're left with essentially uh, a bit of scar tissue, which is almost like a, 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 a tattoo of sorts. And it may have been caused. Of, yeah, it, looks like, it looks like two little, two little bruised tattoos, mm. just, you know. There are, there are a couple of mills across each. The worst kind of nature's tattoo. Yeah, yeah. Nature's tattoo. (laughs) There may have been a very small quantity of venom involved as well, so we can't really say, even in the case of a dry bite. Like, a dry bite is generally going to be something where there's no systemic consequences, Mm -hmm. so you're not, you know, getting really, really sick and possibly dying, but there might be some mild local consequences, and snakes just have, like venomous snakes like tiger snakes, just have trace amounts of toxins in their mouths Mm. pretty much all the time, so it may be that a little bit of venom was just sort of sequestered in the skin there and caused a little bit of local local damage and therefore a little bit of local scarring but thankfully nothing progressed further so the idea of having like a a snake kit whether it be bandages or just being prepared how likely slash possible is it for just as an individual or say was his family who is out on a farm to actually have some anti-venom at home is that something that as just civilians we can buy and keep it's it's not something that you can buy and keep easily and it's not something that you want to either it's phenomenally expensive it's about twenty five hundred dollars a vial sort of more or less so this is a this is an expensive product to make and we can go into that in a sec in terms of bandages, absolutely. Buy a bandage, buy a decent long bandage, chuck it in the bottom of your backpack that you take when you're hiking or when you're going out, or have it in your car, because uh, that's not going to be kit good in the just for... A good idea. Yeah, it's, it's part of just a classic first aid kit, not just snake bites, so it's going to be helpful in that sense. But just on that note, the bandages that are in your classic first aid kits tend to be crepe bandages and things that are not going to be very useful, In I mean, other than maybe a little bit of a placebo effect. Uh, you really need a good quality elastic bandage, and there are bandages out there on the market 
market these days that are marketed as snake bite bandages specifically and generally speaking mm -hmm. although i can't vouch for all the products on the market those are going to be more appropriate where did you buy than, those from uh, i mean just google it online oh, okay. you know but a lot of chemists will sell them and chemists. stuff yeah they're relatively widely available these days yeah uh, and is there anything else you should have in a snake kit apart from bandages? I mean, a sling is a sling is common. Uh, multiple bandages are good. I mean, those other little crepe bandages and things, they might be really good um, for splinting a bitten limb because remembering that both pressure and immobilisation are the core components of uh, snake bite first aid. So, yeah, maybe additional bandages, maybe a sling. Mm. There's also an app, uh, the Australian Bites and Stings app, which uh, we we helped sort of promote with uh, CSL, the company that makes uh, and Securus, the companies that make the anti venom. Um, that's a free app that you can download onto that's your phone. It goes idea. into snake bite What's first aid. Uh, Australian Bites and Stings. Um, it has first aid information for snake bite, for, for things like jellyfish stings, spider bites and those kinds of things. And you can kind of have a look at mm. what's in your particular area. We get a lot of texts and we're going to try and get through them. Not many have photos attached uh, of the said snake of being held by a woman <laughs> with the biggest <laughs> smile I've ever seen. This is a very happy woman. She says, Monday, this Monday, 1.6 metre red belly black, kept returning to the front door. The cat and dog are very interested. I had to take it out. And she looks very all calm and collected, taking this huge 1.6 metre red belly out. Why would a snake be at a front door? Is it wanting to come inside? Not necessarily. Good. I mean, it's just exploring its environment uh, and happens to have come to the front door. Maybe there is a scent trail that it's following. A lot of these, uh, a lot of snakes are very scent oriented. So maybe there's something that is drawing it in that direction. But uh, it could just be completely incidental. Maybe there's even just a good basking spot near your, near your front door. I should, I should say, if anyone else has a snake come to their front door, it sounds like this lady is particularly confident around snakes <laughs> and perhaps a, a handler of some kind. Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't recommend uh, picking it up and moving this? it. I'm going to show you this photo. <laughs> That's a very good point. Thank you. Oh, yeah, I'll bring it up. I don't even know where it's gone now. I'll get the photo. It's <laughs> very cool, calm, collected middle-aged lady just holding a huge snake. On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Talking all things wiggle sticks, pull noodles, oh God, bite go. ropes, <laughs> and everything in between. The names coming in for snakes is wonderful. There's not very many complimentary ones, mind you, but we'll, we're doing our best on the conversation hour today and answering your questions. Leanne has a question. Leanne's called in from Majorca. Hi, Leanne. Hi, how are you? Yeah, good. What did you want to ask about? Um, we were told we lived, you know, like a little bit out of town, and we, had a, we lost a dog to a brown snake a couple of years ago and we were told that if we had um some vitamin c in, um in, injectable iv vitamin c in our kit to give that to the dog until you got to a vet i um have you heard of that well i'm judging by the reaction of both tim and andrew here that this is not the first time you've heard vitamin c as a solution look there are many uh ideas out there about things that might help in the case of of snake bite or, or really any kind of toxicity and you know vitamin c is, is something that comes up all the time it's probably not going to hurt we're not going to say that it's likely to do anything particularly helpful either there just isn't the evidence there for that do we have enough signs up and around to warn us there's a message here that says last summer victorian gardens in richmond actually had a beware of snake sign just outside the rear entrance and i know out the front of my daughter's school at the moment there's signs up about not about snakes thank goodness because <laughs> that would be a concern but just around um you know birds mm -hmm. and nesting season some areas have a lot. You know, my area where I live near Altona, tons of snake signs. Right. So it's going to be a local council dependent thing and, you know, 
just what is the level of, of snake awareness in, in the area in general. And, you know, one of the things when we're talking about numbers of snake sightings and things, the more this narrative is out there, and I'm not saying that it's not correct that there are more snakes around, I'm saying we don't really know, but the more... No, I'm pushing a bad narrative. <laughs> this is what I'm No, 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 about. I'm just saying the, the more that narrative is out there, the more awareness there's going to be, which is a good thing, therefore the more snake sightings there are going to be. Mm. Because it's a very, very common experience for me in my area to be walking along the path, and I'm, you know, looking for snakes, right, to see tiger snakes, and then to watch ten other walkers walk by them without even. noticing them. You know, snakes are often very, very cryptic. That oblivion is sweet sometimes, <laughs> isn't it? Ignorance is bliss. But... If people are on the lookout more, naturally they're going to see more snakes. So it, it will have a sort of, um, there'll be a slight self-fulfilling prophecy about this idea that there are more snake sightings. But that is such an interesting point you raised too, because I remember as a young reporter I was out with, I think I think his name was Damien Michael, a, a researcher, and like we are in a paddock and he just showed me about 10 different <laughs> spots snakes would be and I would have walked past them all. Mm. And if, you, if you're not looking, you don't find them, I suppose, in some respects and they're just going apart their life in the environment and, uh, and sometimes we probably don't know what's there, right? Absolutely. You're on the Conversation Hour, Rochelle Hunt and Warwick Long with you. We are talking snakes and getting prepared. Dr Tim Jackson and Dr Andrew Watt are with you from the Australian Venom Research Unit from the School of Biomedical Sciences at Melbourne University. This, I found a black snake trapped in an old empty swimming pool. All I could find was a long extension ladder to leave in there and hope that it would get out. It took the snake a lot of tries, but eventually it worked out how to do it. The, the ultimate snakes and ladders. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, good on you for having the compassion for that snake yes. to give it an option to get out of there. I'm, I'm very pleased. Snakes can climb ladders. There you go. And that, <laughs> that to your list of things that can freak you out. <laughs> Let's go to Robin, who's called in from Gippsland to talk snakes with us today. G'day, Robin. Oh, g'day. How you doing? I'm good. What did you want to say? I wanted to say that I always make sure that my vet, whatever vet's in the area, even if my vet doesn't have it, who has the anti-venom. And if you're travelling and you're going especially into New South Wales or somewhere like that where they've got ticks, just make sure mm -hmm. you're up to date on your tick meds. People forget when they travel interstate like heartworm and things like that, that it's very important to make sure your dog's covered. But also if you're travelling, ring up the vets around and find out who has the snake venom. It just makes it much easier for you to know where to go. This is awful. Very good advice, Absolutely. Robin. Thank you. You're getting a thumbs up from uh, both Tim and Andrew. Lots of people asking whether or not you can even do like little courses. You can do a first aid course. You know, if you when you have a baby, you're given all sorts of information in first aid courses. Can you go and learn how to protect your cat or dog? Uh, I'm not sure if there's specific courses around that. There are certainly, I mean, first aid is absolutely going to be a good one that's going to teach you how to do the pressure mobilisation manage effectively. I know there are snake specific courses to learn about snakes. I'm sensing uh, a little side and, hustle here, boys. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so, kind of, kind of learn what snakes are in your area and if you want to go down the handling path. There but, are also but, snake uh, aversion training courses. And I know some have been offered in Australia, but it's more common in the US and other mm -hmm. places where Just people learn will how to avoid them. Well, train your dogs to ah. avoid snakes, right? So one of the big issues and one of the reasons why cats and dogs get bitten by snakes, it's not necessarily the snake's fault. There are snakes around, but, of course, cats and dogs will often, you know, go for a snake, either just out of curiosity or because of that killer instinct that these, you know, predatory mammals that we love so dearly have. And that's, of course, a situation in which a snake will bite to defend itself. So if you can train your cat or dog to break that instinct to go for a small animal and, in particular, to avoid snakes, that 
is a very, very good thing to do. And that is something that, as I say, is out there. It's not commonly offered in Australia, but snake aversion training does exist for dogs. Why not? We have so many snakes in Australia. Why yeah, is it more popular overseas? Good question. Good question. Part of it is they use uh, quite negative punishment for the aversion training, so electric collars and those kinds of things. I think for some courses you do actually need to make sure your dog's in okay health. Uh, to actually go through it. So they are quite, uh, invasive is the wrong word, but not necessarily a nice experience for the dog. Lots of people saying thank you so much for this topic. I've just downloaded the Bites and Stings app and I'm adding a snake bite bandage to my garden toolkit as I've got two acres of garden. That's from Rosemary, who's in Glen Rowan West. We keep saying, oh, antivenom, right? But what is it? Like, what's in it? Look, antivenom is essentially uh, an immune product that we derive from horses. Uh, I think, slightly embarrassingly, we've been using the same product for the last hundred years or so, and it, it's not embarrassing in the sense I that it works. Don't fix it. Uh, but it, it, exactly right, it does mean that it's expensive to sort of produce. So, uh, horses that are in the finest of health and they have to be uh, are essentially injected with some venom from snakes, either one snake for a monovalent or multiple snakes for what we call a polyvalent or just a va- uh, effective against many snakes. Uh, and then we take that blood, we, we take the plasma and we fractionate down the actual antibodies against the venom. That must, no wonder it costs two and a half grand mm. yeah. per vial. Right? <laughs> so there's a lot of work. Are we lucky in this country to have access to it? Because I know you've been doing some work in PNG. Look, we're phenomenally lucky here. Uh, similar to what a previous uh, texter or caller said, you can call your local hospitals. It should be freely available. And that's one of the things. This is a government subsidised product. Uh, so it should be freely available in your areas at the local hospitals. Uh, in places like Papua New Guinea, where they actually have a much higher rate of snake bite, uh, it wasn't really available very much at all. They had about 200 vials a year. Um, but we wanted to increase that. So, and was there many snake deaths? Of the, humans? the World Health Organization estimates about a thousand a year. One of the big challenges, though, is that we can't get good data. So, what we've been doing since 2018 is uh, CSL Securus, who manufactures antivenom in Australia, has donated or agreed to donate about 600 vials a year. And so, for the last six uh, six years, they've been donating that antivenom, and we've been overseeing the distribution oh, uh, of vials across Papua New Guinea. So, we've got yeah. about 72 health centres that we distribute to now across the country. We've distributed. Uh, I think two and a half thousand vials since 2018. And is it, are you noticing a difference? We've we've saved uh, one of the challenges again collecting data. So we collect patient data on who's been administered, and uh, it's all paper form, so it takes a while for it to trickle back through from these remote centres. But we've got evidence that we've saved over a thousand lives uh, so far since this program started. So when I was a younger man watching Australian drama on TV, there'd always be the the rush to find out what type of snake had bitten you <laughs> oh, yes. to tell the hospital, right? Sure. Do you need to do that anymore? <laughs> it it really depends on where you are. Uh, so it, in PNG, for example, we go based on regional. Uh, so we know what snakes broadly are in different areas and we can kind of make an educated guess based on the clinical presentation that occurs. So in the southern sort of coastal regions, we, we generally find Taipan. Outside of that, though, uh, we might have to hedge our bets and that's where polyvalence, so the, the antivenom against multiple snake species, uh, becomes really effective because you just need to know that they've been bitten by a snake rather than anything else. And in Australia, we do also have this product... Uh, poorly named product but effective product when used properly called the snake venom detection kit it's really a snake venom immunotype identification kit but basically it will tell you if the patient has been bitten by one a snake that 
corresponds to one of the major groups of venomous snakes mm-hmm. in Australia, essentially, and that'll tell you what antivenom you need. So it's absolutely not crucial that the bitten patient tries to identify that snake because that get might to the you know, hospital. just yes. get yourself to the hospital. You know, we do say like don't wash the bite side, absolutely bandage up the arm and things, but there might be the possibility of taking a swab from that bite side mm-hmm. to identify the venom, or failing that if there is a systemic envenomation. So if the person's being is becoming very ill, they will be circulating venom in their blood or in their urine, and that might and be the basis be of moving, identification right? as be... little as possible. Yeah. yeah. That's the one yeah. bit I did know. <laughs> there's, a, there's a few people texting here about, say, anti. it should be anti-venine, we're saying, not anti-venom. Oh. Am, is there a technical thing I'm getting wrong here? No, Look, that's both fine. <laughs> Look, so it's originally a French, uh, you know, yeah. technology, Albert Calmet, who came up with it, you know, really about 140 years ago, 130-something years ago now, uh, was was a Frenchman. And so anti-venine is the, is the French term. So it's the original term, absolutely, but anti-venom is perfectly fine. And I don't know why Microsoft doesn't know that. <laughs> and, um, my spell checker yeah. continually tries to correct me, and I'm like, I know better than you. As a snake researcher, how frustrating that would be. Nancy's in stall. Good morning, Nancy. Good morning. What was your story? A, well, you're talking about vitamin C. Mm-hmm. I, um, I've got a cat leash called Midnight, and um, he got bitten on the, on the skull because you could see the lump on the top of the head mm-hmm. and um, rang the vet and she said, oh, well, it's going to cost you $1,000 plus. And I said, well, I'm sorry, I don't have $1,000 plus. Um, is there anything I can... Oh, well, if he's alive in the morning, she said, uh, he might make it through. And if he's alive in three days, he will. So I thought, well, what can I do? So I got on onto the net and I talked to a lady in Western Australia and she advised me to get some vitamin C syrup from the... Uh, mm-hmm pet store, which I did do, and I put it down his throat every two hours and he's still alive and he's, that's five years ago. Midnight's still kicking. Is it- he's still very much alive. So now, the-, the other thing that I do is I every summer I go around with a knapsack and I put in a, a very small amount of phenyl in some water and spray it around the outside of the house. All right. I'm getting some looks there if that's not a bad idea, Nancy. What are you thinking, guys? Snakes will not come in. First of all, great to hear that Midnight survived. One of the challenges we have in science of... We talked about dry bites before, right? We don't know whether your snake was envenomed or not, but we do know that you've given them vitamin C or given them vitamin C. And so we know that there's now a correlation in your mind and perhaps in others' minds as well that a snake bite can be killed with vitamin C. But we don't know whether that's the case. Uh, and this is one of the challenges with studying snake bite and, and these kind of non-traditional uh, medicines for them is we can't just take people and, and or pets and have them envenomated or envenomed uh, and then treat them because that's largely unethical. We, we rely on these kind of anecdotal stories, mm. but we do know that dry bites and non-venomous bites do occur. Uh, in terms of the phenol in water side of things... Well, something similar is going to apply to our reasoning when it comes to any kind of snake deterrence, right? We don't know that you would have had multiple snakes you know coming into the house or, or in the area if you hadn't been doing that i mean if, if it's if it's working for you and making you feel more comfortable and not having any you know serious uh, not causing any other issues then continue doing it sure but we would not endorse any particular method for snake deterrence because there have been many of them over the years and there are still snake you know deterrent devices that um pulse with vibrations and yes. things that you can I'm buy and people put in asking your, about whether or not they, they work well the general 
verdict is that they don't work. Look, yeah. I, I guess the, the, the best thing I can say from a personal experience, I live regionally. We've had a brown snake in our backyard before. We've got a copper sna- a copperhead that lives in our neighbour's yard. I don't use anything as a deterrent because I don't think there's anything particularly that's going to work apart from keeping the lawn mowed nicely and, and mm. keeping food sources away Jim's from the mowing. House as much that's, that's the best deterrent <laughs> is to get there. I've got a question which I've just realised. So one of our best mates who is hilarious and is very good at many things but decided the other night, he said, you know what, I'm thinking about becoming a snake catcher. Oh, yeah, sure. And we were like, yeah, right. I'm not sure where that's come from. What skill does it take to be a snake catcher? You've got to, got to be able to catch snakes. Yes. Who trains you, right? They're really the two there, there cool are, ones. There are courses these days. I mean, it is a, it is a sort of recognised, you know, commercial venture these mm-hmm. days. So there are um, various accredited trainers around the country who can train you to deal with snakes. I mean, for someone like me, you know, I grew up catching snakes as a kid and I think that the number one thing that, you know, aids people in safely handling snakes is a deep understanding um, of snake behaviour, which is derived from just a lot of observing snakes and being around snakes. But they're not actually... So he actually, doesn't have any of that. Well, yeah, but they're not actually... <laughs> having, said, having said that, they're not actually all that difficult to handle. Mm. Um and there are various items of safety equipment that you can use, including grab sticks and things like that. Now, they can be dangerous for the snakes. Uh, there are better products and worse products. You know, there's lots of nuance we could go into here. But I do think it's perfectly feasible for someone who is switched on and is going, you know... <laughs> I'm imagining my friend <laughs> to right train, now as you're saying this. To train to, to be a snake catcher. Like, it's not, it's not rocket science. We advised science, him against know? it. Yeah. 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 Look, it, it's going to take him a while and a bit of money to go through the process and explore whether it's something that's going to be viable for him. Yeah. Uh, and so there's no harm in going through it. You know, learning a new skill is yeah. often interesting. Go and do it's a course going to be in a, a yeah, safe yeah, environment. Hopefully, and hopefully he things, and so. his wife are not listening right now. <laughs> <laughs> I just think we need to go back to the sentence, I grew up catching snakes. <laughs> 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 Who does that? Of course you were set for this field, right? Like that's incredible in itself. I wanted to ask about snake behaviour in the sense of mm. what we don't understand as the greater <laughs> populace about that because, you know, a, have the experience of growing up on a farm also live in suburbia now and I laugh every year at the texts or the messages that go up on the community Facebook page or other things saying oh watch out there's a snake here or watch out there's a snake there because by the time you've seen that it's probably moved on right Um, so in terms of snake behaviour what are the best things for us in the general public to know about what they're looking for how they're moving and and how they're existing in our environment I mean the most important thing to, to note you know, always, is that snakes don't want anything to do with us. Given the option, snakes will not come anywhere near giant naked apes who are likely to put a shovel through their necks, you know? Like, we are very, very dangerous to snakes, like any other large organism would be, and they don't want anything to do with us. Snakes spend a lot of their time hiding and just moving away. So given the opportunity, a snake will move away from a human, you know, 99 times out of 100. Of course, there are certain circumstances where a snake's in your back there are snakes coming to the home. There are all sorts of things, uh, you know, occasions of, of, of that kind where you need to have that snake removed. And I completely understand people not wanting to have dangerously venomous snakes mm. in and around their properties. But just remember, snakes don't want to bite you. Just stomping, mm. like when I think, when I get the snake vibes. Stomping on snakes, not a good no, idea. No, no, not on snakes. <laughs> but walking loudly, yeah. like I'm always like, do the stompy walk. Yeah. And does that help? The whole vibration loud walking 
Yeah, look, there's some there's some logic to it. Again, there haven't been any controlled studies really on that. I mean, there have been a little bit on on the approach, you know, the approach response of certain snakes, like how close can you get to a brown snake before it'll move away or whatever. Um, stomping is probably not going to hurt in the sense yeah, that right. if they know you're there, yeah, they're less likely to, to expose themselves, essentially. They're less likely to come out and be on the, on the path yeah. in front of you. They're going to stay in and the And most bushes. other people walk away from me as well because yeah, yeah. I just look like this well, crazy it's, stomping it's, yeah. So you get lady. some peace and quiet while you're at bushwalking. Particularly great, if you yeah. combine stomping with looking where you're stomping uh, yeah, would be the sure. other important <laughs> thing. Right, so don't uh, stomp on snakes. Because yeah. <laughs> the, the ones that are more ambush ridders are going to be hidden in the leaf <laughs> oh and stuff. Yeah. Take this stomping down. Yeah. Matt's in Geelong. Hi, Matt. Good day. How you going? Good. What did you want to say? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually a victim of a snake bite earlier this year. Um, oh. I was up at uh, the Brisbane Ranges uh, with a friend detecting for um, gold or whatever they, you know, fossicking. And yeah. um, I was probably about 10 metres from my car and we're just walking through the bush on a bush track and um, I felt a bit strange because I was suffering mm-hmm. diabetes. My friend said, oh, is it diabetes? And I said, no. Um, I, I feel like I'm going to sleep. Mm-hmm. And you know, she looked down on my leg and said, you've been bitten by a snake. And I'm very lucky. I didn't see it. I didn't feel it. And I was very lucky. I had a snake bite kit in my um, ute. And I actually knew how to use it. So I got it out and she rang an ambulance. And, um, wow. I find it yeah, fascinating I, I that you it. don't feel it. Like, I always imagine that you would feel being bitten by a snake and you didn't feel a thing. Didn't feel a thing. Didn't even see it. Uh, just, yeah, it's obviously I was in its, in its path and it thought, okay, I'll warn this person. And it just, yeah, got a little bit of venom. It was enough to... Yeah, made me pretty crook. Um, so I got rushed to a hospital in Geelong here and um, for three days. Um, but I, I never had any anti-venom or anything. Um, they okay. did some blood tests and just just let it go through my system. Right, and yeah. they con- confirmed the presence of venom with a with an antigen detection kit of some kind? or I'm um, not really sure how they did it, mate. They just right. took a few blood tests mm-hmm. and um, the first blood test um, came up negative. So they actually took the bandage off me, and it was about probably 13 hours later, I got really sick. Mm-hmm. It, got, it got into my system, and wow. um, they come back with the second test and said, yeah, you've certainly got venom in you. Um, and how are you feeling they... now, Matt? Uh, yeah, look, I, I'm fine. Um, every now and then on my inside of my leg where it got me, because it got me on the lower leg, um, it swells a little bit, gets a bit rashy, but... Um, so are you that, wearing no, boots? Like, what sort of shoes were you wearing? No, nah, well, maybe, mate. I'm always in shorts and sneakers. <laughs> I probably should add gaiters on and know them a bit better. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I'm just unlucky. Wrong spot at the wrong time, and, yeah... Just, it just sounds um, like you did all the right things, but, so, but, Matt. But also lucky by the sounds of things as well. It sounds like you've done everything right. You've got the, the snake bite kit in the car. You've gone to seek medical attention. I mean, they've kept you in yeah. for observation. So there's obviously a little bit of a systemic effect, but that's cleared naturally. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, yeah, I mean, great to hear you telling us the story now. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, and Matt. I just, Yeah, and I just want to say to people, that if you do get bitten, just keep calm, relax. It, mm. it, yeah, you're going to survive it. The chances of dying from it is pretty slim. It doesn't sound like um, much would uh, stress you out, Matt, just quietly. <laughs> you, you just, yeah, if you've got a first aid kit and a decent bandage, just and, and make sure you mark the spot as well. 
Yeah. All yeah. good advice. Excellent. That's Matt. fantastic advice. Yeah. Staying calm in particular. Yeah. Easier said than done for many people, but really the best advice. Absolutely. And, and you're exactly right. It, it, you are very unlikely to die from a snake bite in Australia. We have mm. about 600 bites a year that end up in hospitalisation. Uh, about 160 of those people end up requiring antivenom. And we get on average about two deaths a year. So it's very, very unlikely that you're going to be... Uh, killed by a snake bite. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Talking snakes on the Conversation Hour, or as Ross likes to put it, nature's defibrillator, which uh, I think is almost my favourite term that has been sent in so, so far. Uh, Erica has uh, a question or a story to tell us uh, now on the line from Middle Park. Hi, Erica. Ah, uh, hello. Um, I'll just let you know that my daughter was bitten by a tiger snake um, five times. She was 45 minutes out from Canberra and um, she she thought there was a twig that scratched her and looked down and luckily she saw the snake and and also luckily that there was hikers nearby who had a snake kit and knew what to do. Um, But it took the ambulance 45 minutes to get to her and she was in extreme pain um, going to the Canberra Hospital. And she just got there and she um, couldn't speak. She was, um, and um, she knew she couldn't breathe in a minute. The ambulance drivers thought she was having a panic, panic attack, but she was actually becoming paralysed. Mm-hmm. So they, um, they didn't know what snake it was, so they gave her anti-venine for... Um, uh, tiger snake and brown snake, um, but she was put into an induced coma for 11 days. Oh, my goodness. And um, we didn't know if she was going to come out or not. She was totally paralysed, of course, because of the... Um, but she was paralysed because of the um, envenomination as well. Um, and then eventually she came out. She had to learn to walk again. It took about maybe a week or two weeks or something like that. And then she had severe nerve pain. After that, which took about a month to resolve, wow. but now she's fine. But she would have died. That mm. is extreme. How, oh, Erica, I'm so glad she's okay to be bitten five times. I mean, both yeah. Tim and Andrew here had a, you both reacted there. Like, is that rare? Can, can I ask, was she, had she stood on the snake? Had the snake been pinned or was it? Well, she was um, going across some rocks at Gibraltar Falls. Mm. And there was a girl, there was four of them, and one had gone first. And um, they think it may have been a young snake or mm-hmm. was perhaps it was, um, you know, trapped and felt threatened. Mm, yep. Okay. So, um, yeah. I mean, look, it's phenomenally rare to have that number of bites. And it's great, it's phenomenally rare as well to have this level of envenomation. And I'm so glad to hear mm-hmm. that your daughter's okay now. I'm sorry to hear that it took a while to come right. One mm-hmm. of the challenges with the snakes is the longer it takes, if you have been envenomed and you have been envenomed quite uh, ardently, obviously if, it's, if you're getting bitten five times, they're going to have a good crack and they're going to inject a, a decent amount of venom. Um, the neurotoxins that are in a lot of Australian uh, venoms, I'm not sure about tigers, I'll ask Tim in just a sec, but a lot of them are bind irreversibly. And so once they uh, target those respiratory muscles, we just have to wait for those to degrade and, and let off. So the antivenom, once they're bound, won't touch those. It'll get rid of the rest of the toxins. Wow. And that's why we sedate and in, what we call intubate, which is put a tube down the throat uh, and make sure that we're supporting breathing and life. 
for the next little while while those irreversible toxins are so, sort of so, Yes, tiger snakes have toxins of this kind. I mean, there are toxins there that aren't just binding irreversibly, but they're actually physically destroying synapses. So they're actually physically destroying the capacity of nerves to transmit signals to each other. And of course, once things progress to that point, then you are profoundly paralysed, and that's mm. when you're going to need to be intubated, mechanically ventilated for an extended period of time. Um, not only while some toxins are, you know, coming off about other while you're actually regrowing synapses so you're actually synthesizing new uh transmission terminals for your nerve cells essentially oh eric i was so glad to hear your yeah. daughter's okay because that i mean and how lucky for eric's daughter that there were hikers close Absolutely. by right that had a snake kit and knew what to do erica thank you so much anita's and briagalon hi anna sorry hi no no worries yeah, I was just thinking about dogs and snakes because I walk dogs a lot. And um, I taught my dogs the word legs. Mm. And you've got to do it in a guttural way. I originally taught them because they were picking up stinky bits of animals, you know. <laughs> <laughs> legs. And they said, don't take that. And then one day I was walking five dogs, a couple of friends' dogs as well, and they surrounded a black snake. It was about four to five feet long. Mm. Now, the black snakes are very gentle creatures and shy, but he was surrounded by five barking dogs. So he'd stood up. And I just went, leave. And um, all dogs, all the dogs came back to me. I couldn't believe it. And the <laughs> snake <laughs> and went away. So I told my brother-in-law, and he was walking his healer down a road, and a brown snake went across the road, and the healer started running for it. Mm. And he did the same thing, leave. And... The healer turned around and came back. I need to add this to the app, right? Yes, so yes, that yeah. you can just hit it. <laughs> I mean, and a well-trained dog is, of course, you know, a wonderful thing to, to have. And, and, I mean, with with my own dog, and we see snakes pretty often, and we have throughout her life, she's been exposed to snakes her whole life, and she's just not interested in them at all. So if there's a tiger snake by the path or even crossing the path and I'm out walking with her, she'll give it a little bit of a glance and then she'll look at me like, can we move on now, Dad? You know, because I will obviously spend a bit of time checking it out. And But, yeah, wonderful that your dogs are so well so well trained and certainly that's an example that any dog owner should attempt to emulate. Mm. A, a text here that's coming a number of times too, just in relation to that, do things like blue-tongued lizards or other mm. animals living in the environments mm. um, keep snakes away due to territoriality or something like that? No, I mean, snakes eat blue tongues. Blue tongues will eat small snakes. They're just, you know, they're common, um, you know, they're sympatric, as we say. They live side by side, so... It and they identify that that environment is a good environment yeah. for, for reptiles of a certain size to live in. Mm. Uh, there's obviously food and water and, and, and habitat that they can survive in. Well, that's oh. it. And lots of people are saying that the sign of snakes is, is, it, is it a sign that the environment is healthy? Absolutely. Yes. 100%. They're sort of a keystone species, really. They're an important predatory niche that they fill. And yeah. the thing I think I've learnt today, as I do every time you guys come in, where the right, like if you're going for a walk mm. and even something simple, you know, we're all going to be lazy around somebody. Go, oh, I'll just throw my thongs on yeah, and yes. I'll head down there. Like, wear the right stuff. Wear, wear boots. Or compensate with attention. Yes. Right. So definitely the first, the best thing to do is to wear boots and long pants. But if you're in the tropics, you know, it's hard to give somebody that advice. Yeah. But compensate with attention. If you are wearing thongs and shorts, you better be looking where you're putting your feet. And maybe avoid that patch of long grass if you can skirt around it or something like yeah. that. Amazing to get all of this information on what I want to have. Can I ask a really quick last yeah. one? Because I always end up with 20 more questions. I 
no, I've got heaps <laughs> more. This is why I keep getting these guys back here. We're just uh, getting warmed up. And I know you guys have talked about this before, but it goes to the old farmer's tale, I'll say, of, oh, you know, you want to keep a red belly black around because mm. that'll eat the other Who snakes. And that? they're, People they're do. more territorial than line, others. Yeah. Is that a myth? Well, look, again, red belly black snakes do eat other snakes. So people have seen red bellies eating brown snakes and said, oh, great, have the red belly around, it'll keep them down. Of course, there's also a competitive exclusion. You know, red bellies and browns are in a similar niche but not the same. So maybe if there are red bellies around, there's less space in the environment for browns. But having said all of that, no, um, just because you have red bellies around doesn't mean you're not going to have browns around. Browns also eat red bellies. Um, so, <laughs> you know, there's, there's a lot going on in the snake world. Uh, and so, no. They do have slightly different preferred habitats, etc. So, you know, lots of nuance there. But it is a myth, essentially, that if you have red bellies, you won't have browns. I, I guess the broader thing is it's not bad to have snakes around in general. Yeah. As Tim kind of mentioned before, they're a keystone uh, creature in the environment. Uh, it's more just having a of where they are and where they can be hiding if it is around your property. Dr Tim Jackson, Dr Andrew Watt from the Australian Venom Research Unit, the School of Biomedical Sciences at Melbourne University. As always, thank you so much. Don't forget, download the Bites and Stings apps because that will help everyone. Warwick Long, you're off to do the country hour. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. Great to be here. Have a wonderful weekend and I'll speak to you on Monday. Take care.